Hello, I'm Marie Sneijman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today we're looking at telepathic animal communication. Discover what your pet or a wild animal thinks. My guest is Jenny Schoen, international animal communicator, healer, and also from Midwall. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Hi, Mariette, and to everybody that's listening. To our listeners, after our conversation, Jenny will give us her three tips on learning to communicate with animals, and then it will be fun question time. Jenny, today we're talking about a most unusual topic, and I'm sure you meet many people who are skeptical about the possibility to connect to animals, but I look forward to being introduced to this world that you know so well. <laughs> now, you've always had a telepathic connection with animals. Could you please tell us? Yes, I was born um, just understanding what was going on in animals' minds. If animals came up to me, I just had an understanding of what they were thinking, how they were feeling. Um, I didn't believe, I didn't think it was anything strange. I didn't realize not everybody was doing this. And it's only as I grew older that I started discovering that I was actually communicating with them on a telepathic level. But at that stage, there was no, no such thing as, there was nothing known really about telepathically communicating with animals. So it was all quite natural and, you know, for, to, to me, it was quite natural. Mm. Can you tell us what it means to have a telepathic connection? What the telepathic connection means is that, you know, the way animals communicate with each other, apart from their body language, is they, they communicate telepathically by sending pictures, feelings, thoughts, emotions, sensations. So if you can communicate with them in the same way, what that means is that you develop your telepathic abilities. We are all born with those. Mm -hmm. And it's just a way of developing them so that you can fine-tune and, and be able to feel what the animals around you are feeling. And eventually you can learn to actually hear their thoughts and feel their sensations and, and just be absolutely in tune with them yeah. on, 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 on a telepathic level. That's a whole new world. <laughs> it's a magical world. Mm. Tell us about the different aspects of your work, why people consult you. I have many people, I'm not a behaviorist, just point that out up front, but I have many, many people coming to me with behavior issues. And the way I feel about the behavior issues of the animals is that if you can find out what stems behind the behavior, what's causing it in the first place, then you've got a better chance of being able to to work through that, to, to help them deal with that. So I have the behavior issues. I have people coming with animals with health issues, trying to find out a little bit deeper information on a health side of things, what you know, what you can pick up from the animal itself. Um, as well as missing animals, we, we also work with not always locating missing animals, but connecting with them, finding out if they're injured, trying to help guard them home. And on odd occasions, we do manage to actually locate them. So there's many, many sides to the animal communication. We're going to go into that more in more detail as yes, we go okay. Now, I'm wondering how you came to be a full-time animal communicator and healer. That <laughs> is an interesting story. When I first started, um, before I actually knew anything about the animal communication, I had a little dog that came into my life. Um, her name was Smurfy, and she was eight years old when I lost her to cancer. And when I lost her, literally the bottom fell out of my world. And I didn't know how I was going to cope with the next hour, let alone the next 20 years without her. So I literally went into an extreme depression. And I couldn't get out of bed for four months. My parents at that stage were living in, they've both passed on now, but they were living in Peter Maritzburg in Howick. Um, they had to come and look after me. And after four months, I thought... I need to do something about this. I've got other animals that are relying on me. I can't just let myself die, which is what I was felt I was doing. Um, a friend of mine then came up to me and said to me, 
Have I ever considered going to a, a psychic for a reading? Which I'd never ever considered in the past. I'd never followed the psychic route. I didn't believe in that sort of thing. But I was desperate, so I agreed. And I went and sat with her, with a psychic lady, and I was with her for about an hour and a half. And in that hour and a half, she told me a lot of things that made sense, but nothing that was earth-shattering until I got up to leave. And when I got up to leave, she said to me, by the way, who's this little black and white dog that's sitting next to my ankle? And the more I talk, the louder she barks. And that was Murphy. That's what she was like in life. And that was what she was like after life. So from that moment, I started exploring. I started investigating. I then um, found, my, my mother gave me a book to read, which was called Straight from the Horse's Mouth by Amelia Kincaid, one of the top animal communicators in, the, in America. And I started um, emailing Amelia and asked her when she was coming to South Africa. And she said she had no plans to come to South Africa at that stage, but why don't I come and join her on the Isle of Man? And that's what I did. A few months later, I, with my mother, she came with me, we flew across to the Isle of Man, and that's where I learned um, the deeper side, and that's where I fine-tuned my telepathic abilities to work with animals. And the reason I did that was just to be able to help the occasional friend's animal or my own animals really, for my own animals, but the occasional friend's animal that needed it. Little did I know that within three months after finishing my completing my course on the Isle of Man, I was in such demand that I had to give up everything I was doing and go into it full time. So that's where I started, mm -hmm. and I'm still going at it. <laughs> and this was in 2002, if I'm right. Yes. Yeah. What would you say is the aim of your work? The aim of my work is to improve the quality of life for all animals everywhere. And this I do through education. Because a lot of people love their animals and they believe they're doing the right thing for their animal. And it's not always the case. So through education and understanding what the animal actually needs and respecting their wishes and respecting them on a deeper level, um, very often people can can change their perception of the animals that live with them in their home. And, and this really benefits the animals in the long run. Now, today we're celebrating your second book, which is fresh from the press, and it is called Perfect Voices, A Deeper Understanding of Animals and Telepathic Communication. Yes. Now, I so enjoyed reading the manuscript. Uh, you cover a number of interesting issues. You tell delightful stories and you offer examples of deep insight into the human condition coming from domestic and wild animals. Yes. So my first question is, why did you write the book? Well, a lot of people, after writing my first book, which I think you're going to speak about just now, pause and listen, um, people have been saying to me, when am I going to write the second book? When am I going to write the second book? So I've got so many stories and I wanted to go a little bit deeper into the the whole telepathic side of things and the energy that the animals carry with them um, so that people could really enjoy the stories. I had so many stories and my life's quite interesting because I spend it with different animals. Um, so I thought people would really probably enjoy that. Mm. I think this is the right place to ask which animals you live with. The animals I live with. I've got a cat who, well, my husband and I, he's one of the animals. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the cat was a stray that wandered in and stayed. I had him sterilized because I believe in that. And he still stayed. So he's, he's been living there for quite a few years. I've got four dogs. Um Four horses, four donkeys, and two horses, and a miniature mule. Those are my animals. I've also got four um, elephants and two rhinos that are in a in a sanctuary in um, in Kenya. But I'm just using, I'm just fostering those. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What do you say to people who don't believe that we can communicate with animals? You know, I do have many people that are very skeptical. And I've had a couple on workshops with me, and very often men on the workshop that are come in skeptical are the ones that get the biggest result. And I, I believe it's because they're not expecting anything. 
But I'm not there to make anyone's mind up for them. I'm not there to push them to believe in this. It's not their their thing. When the time is right, they will believe or, or that something will happen to, to make them think that there is something going on here. You know, there's no scientific proof that telepathic communication is actually working. But the proof for me always lies in the results. So if somebody, you talk to somebody's animal and they give you information that you know nothing about, but it resonates with the skeptical human, that is what makes them start realizing that there is something to it. But it's not, I don't ever force my beliefs on anybody else. Mm -hmm. You mentioned specific ways in which animals communicate. What are they? For instance, they, they, they communicate in many ways telepathically. I'm talking not the body language. Um, pictures, feelings, thoughts, emotions, sensations. When you're working with dogs, dogs are very visual, so they will show you a lot of pictures. For instance, how that works is if you're asking them a question, um, you might suddenly find a picture playing in your mind, a description of a person in your mind, and that is that is how they communicate. With cats, they work very much on feelings, emotions. You'll feel an emotion related to the question you're asking them. And, and you know, it just depends on the actual animal, but these are the ways that you get the information coming through to you. Very interesting. <laughs> you write, Jenny, that you believe every single person is born with the ability to telepathically communicate with animals. But there are certain prerequisites for communicating with them. And what are these? Well, I believe that everybody does is born with this ability. And what happens is that as we get older, we've got a left brain and a right brain. And we've, we, as we get older, people start saying to us, that doesn't happen or you can't hear that. It's just a, a dog or what does a horse know? And that we start tending to use our left brain more and analyzing everything, and then we shut off our intuitive side, which is functioning on the right brain. So as soon as we start working our intuitive side and start doing exercises and start working, creating the intuitive side of ourselves, that is what helps us to be able to communicate with the animals. So what all we need really is to be calm and relaxed and non-judgmental. Um, you can't think that if you ask your, your own dog who's his favorite person, and he tells you the domestic that works for you. You can't take it personally. It's at that moment that that's who might be the favorite person because maybe she's the one who fed him that day. So you've just got to understand that they are animals and they do have their own thoughts and their own minds and their own feelings and agendas, really. Mm. Yeah. It's not so different from connecting to humans, is it? No. It because there also needs to be respect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which steps does one follow to establish a connection with an animal? Okay, the first thing you would do is you would do it out of love. Now, people always think love is a, an easy thing. It's not at all easy um, because love is actually the ability to allow the animal, provided it's not going to injure itself, to make its own mistakes without judgment. But what I say to people is you need to open your heart Send out as much love as possible. Do it out of respect, not analyzing everything. And when you've finished, give the animal some form of compliment to say thank you for the messages or the information so that they know that you've, you've recognized that they've actually spoken to you. Does communicating with a wild animal differ from communicating with a domestic animal? Um, it does in a way. It's not the techniques stay the same. But the thing that differs is that the wild animals are not integrated in our lives. Domestic animals grow up with us. They, they take on all our baggage and they integrate with us. They really understand us. So we understand them on a deep level physically. So it makes it, more, it, it easier for us to be able to get information from them. Whereas wild animals, we have no knowledge of of them really as physical animals and they they work very much more you can't really ask a wild animal everyday questions like you would ask a domestic animal who's the favorite person that sort of thing the biggest fear those type of things 
uh, but the wild animals do focus a lot more on the spiritual side and, and the, about the universe. They, you can get a lot of information from a wild animal regarding energy and the universe and that type of thing. Um, however, for a wild animal to communicate, it doesn't matter how good you are as a communicator, if a wild animal allows you to communicate with them and communicates back to you, it is actually quite, a, quite an honor because they don't communicate readily with just anybody, mm-hmm. even, even really good animal communicators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, here's a quote from your book. It is important to remember that just because we can communicate telepathically with animals, it doesn't mean that they will always listen to us. However, they will always hear us. Yes. <laughs> That's just what you've said. Yes. It's absolutely right. It's When you're working with animals, it's like working with extremely, extremely, extremely intelligent children. Because just asking them to do something doesn't mean you can't order them around. Um, what The way I work is I like to, if I'm trying to give a cat, for instance, cats are quite complicated. I'm trying to give a cat information to change a certain behavior. I need to do it in a way that makes the cat believe that he is the one that's thought of that in the first place. <laughs> so a little bit of kitty psychology mm. is necessary there. Mm. So, yeah, you need to just work. You can't just say to an animal, can you do this for me or please do that or and, and expect they'll do it. Mm. You have to give it to them in a way that makes it exciting for them so that it's more exciting to do what you're asking than to do what they were doing Mm. before you asked them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of (laughs) sense. Now let's focus on domestic animals. In your book, you discuss cats, dogs, horses and other animals. And you mention that when we are ill or stressed, our domestic animals can also become ill or stressed. Can you explain how that works? What happens is our domestic animals really work as our emotional buffers. So for instance, if we have an argument in front of them, they pick up the negative energy from that argument and that can impact on their health. But they also, it's not a a physical, people often think that uh, they, they don't want the animal to pick up their health issues. And it's not something that you can say to the animal, don't pick up the health issues. It's an unconditional thing that they do they're not even aware they're doing it but very often if somebody in the family is suffering from arthritis you might find one of the animals one of the dogs gets arthritis or cancer or whatever the the illness is and it's often a way of them sometimes they get it before the the human person that they really connected with the one that they feel closest to in the family is the one that they'll pick up the energy from so If a dog, for instance, comes in and it suddenly starts developing arthritis, the human doesn't have arthritis, then it would be wise to let the human start checking himself or herself regularly to make sure, because sometimes that can be a warning sign that this is still coming. And a few months later, or even a few years later, the human might develop this this ailment. And the same goes for animals that pick up existing problems that their, their humans have got. It's just a way of them trying to relieve the human, um, the human companion of, of some of the discomfort of whatever's going on with them at that time. You have a chapter called The Fantastic Feline. Could you give us some inside information on understanding cats? Understanding cats. Well, like I mentioned, it's kitty psychology is very important here because we all know cats can be very aloof. Um, having said that, cats often, if somebody does get ill, will keep away from them. And it's not about the fact that they don't care. It's about the fact that they've got ultimate respect. Respect's a huge thing for cats. So it's about the fact that cat has so much respect that he's keeping away from the, the human to allow the human to deal with his own issues on his own without being bombarded. However... There are instances where cats have been known to spend time with somebody that's about to pass pass away, and they'll stay with them to give them comfort and love and support through the last days of their life. So it's cats are very 
complicated. And, you know, when you talk about specific species, like the difference between cats and difference between dogs, people always say, which is the easiest animal to communicate with? It's not about the, the, the species. It's about the individual animal. Because some cats are quite open and they'll talk freely. And other cats, you have to kind of like drag the information out of them um, by using kitty psychology and making them want to tell you what's going on and rather than asking them specific questions where they're just going to turn their nose up and say, oh, I don't need to answer that now. I'll answer it when I'm ready, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah, cats are a bit of a challenge. Having said that, the domestic cat, because I've worked with both the big cats and the domestic cat, the domestic cat is the only animal I've ever worked with that is quite happy to be an only animal. So people don't have to feel they've got a cat that's lost its companion, they now need to get it a companion kitten. Oh. Because very often it will, sometimes, not in every case, sometimes it will be happy, but more often than not it will be quite happy to be the only cat rather than to have another intruder in its life. They see newcomers in the family as intruders. Mm -hmm. Cats do, yeah. Can you tell us a cat story, please? I, a cat story, yes. I've got one that happened a few years ago. A client of mine in the UK, she had lost an elderly cat. Her old cat had passed away. And she'd been without a cat now for a while, and she decided it was time that she maybe went out to see if she could find another cat. So she went to the local SPCA. I think, I'm not sure if it's SPCA, but it's in, in England, in UK. And she was walking around, and this little kitten was sitting next to the fence in one of the cages, and it just made eye contact with her, and she just felt such a pull towards this little kitten that she decided she'd like to adopt the kitten. However, when she went to the office, the, the people in the office had said the cat, little kitten's name was Lightning and she wasn't up for adoption. They asked why was she not up for adoption? Because she was extremely vicious. She was terrified. And, you know, fear is what makes animals aggressive. But she was terrible, terribly vicious and people couldn't even go in to feed her. She'd run to the back, she'd shiver, she'd shake, she'd try and attack them when they came in. They were having a real battle with her. But this lady wanted to adopt her. So she asked me if I would connect with her and see if I could pave the way and give her some information. So I did. I connected with her the following day and I explained that, that this lady was there and she was ready to um, adopt her and give her a beautiful home where she'd be the only cat she wouldn't have anybody else to fight with her. She'd be safe. She'd be happy because animals, safety is the biggest thing for them, even more than food. That's why you see if you've got a, a scared animal, it won't eat because safety is more important than, than even food to an animal. So I explained to her, I said, she needs to please allow the people that run the place to come in and feed her because they're there to look after her. I said, she's safe where she is now. She's not going to get injured. She's quite fine. She can allow them to come in and feed her and just spend time with her. Anyway, I can't ever know what's what the outcome is going to be until I get the feedback. But what happened there was I stepped back and allowed whatever was going to happen to take place. And two weeks later, I heard back from this lady and she said that the shelter people had told her from the minute I had communicated with her, she'd become a different cat. She was more, she was still timid, but she was a lot more relaxed. She was allowing them in. They could even pick her up and put her on their lap, and they, and they could feed her quite comfortably. So she was allowed to go home with this client of mine, and she's still a happy cat, not attacking any dogs or any other cats. She's completely settled. And that's one of the reasons that one of the benefits of telepathically communicating, you can do a lot telepathically that you can't do physically always. So that's one of the big, big reasons that, that I do this, mm -hmm. so that I can connect mm -hmm. with these sort of animals to make a difference in their lives. Yes. Yeah. And it's a win-win situation. Win-win, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it must be very satisfying. It is. 
very rewarding, yes. Mm. Now we come to dogs, and in your chapter on extraordinary canines, you say that we should remember that a dog is a dog. Yes. Now, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that a lot of people treat their dogs like children and um, underlings, if you can call it that. I don't know what other word to use. Um, and they look down on them, but they're friendly with them and they love them and they cuddle them and they carry on. But we need to remember, I think the word for it is anthropomorphosis, treating your dog like a human. And there are dogs, they've got, they don't see the world the same way we do. The same world to them is very different. They see colors a lot more vividly than we do. They see the energy surrounding people and plants. Um, so they, you know, if an animal has been very traumatized, it loses the ability. It creates blockages so it can't see the specific things like the energies surrounding various animals or plants and so on. It becomes very um, fearful if it's been abused in any way. But dogs are dogs, so we need to, we can't demand they do certain things. We need to find an alternative. So, for instance, if a dog is digging a hole in the garden, we can't just walk up to it and say, stop digging the hole or stop chewing my shoes. We've got to give it something else to do because it's doing that through boredom or through excitement or through loneliness. There's always a reason. Very often people don't realize that their dogs are sometimes scared of the dark. There are dogs that are scared of the dark, and that's what causes them to just constantly yap through the night. And um, they also don't realize that dogs need mental stimulation. You know, they, they need to have their minds fo focused on something. So we need to work with them. You need to discover the, 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 all the characteristics of the species, of the canine species, but then take them as an individual soul as well, not just focusing only on the canine species as a dog and, and being interested in the various things dogs like to do, but also find out the, the in individual soul of the animal as well. Does that make you, sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. That just means that you really need to know the animal. The animal. It doesn't help saying, oh, it's just a dog. Exactly. That's exactly. not going to do the trick. Yes, yes. And that leads to my next question. What should we do if our dog barks incessantly? Because you have talked about perhaps they may be afraid of the dog. Yes, yes. The first thing I would do is, this is also where telepathic communication is so useful, because you can then speak to the dog and find out what's causing the the behavior, the barking, for instance. And as soon as you know what's causing the barking, you can then correct it. And very often, like I said, it could be boredom. Make sure the dog's got a companion so he's not bored all the time. It could be lack of stimulation. He needs mental stimulation. There are so many things you can do that mentally stimulate a dog. You need to also be able to do things for the dog to be able to do things without you there because you're not always there. You can't play with your dog all day long. There are, you know, you've got to go to work or you've got other things you've got to do. So your dog needs to be able to entertain himself. So this is where the mental stimulation comes into it various games and things that he can play himself um, to keep him stimulated and also to just find out if he's insecure, what's causing the insecurity and deal with the fear. And there are a lot of techniques that I do use, that I do tell people about that, that help with this sort of thing. So either you can have a communication session with a dog or you can train people to do the communication themselves. I do, yes I do, because there's only so much I can do myself, so I do run workshops where I do teach people how to access their own intuitive abilities so that they can connect telepathically with their own animals. Another chapter is called Some Equine Magic. Please give us a glimpse into the nature of horses. Horses are really sensitive animals, extremely emotional, and they... They are real good teachers. That's why they use them for... They've got something called Riding for the Disabled, um, where they use them for animal-assisted therapies and that sort of thing. They use dogs as well, but horses particularly create such a strong bond with people. They introduce you to your own soul on a very deep level and help you discover what your soul purpose is. But they're very sensitive and they're very... Um, fight and flight is the word, um, where... They are quite suspicious, 
So if they are grazing calmly in a paddock, they can look completely calm and completely relaxed. And if a bird flies up or there's a slight movement or a plastic bag flies away near them, they'll be up and off in a second at high speed across the field. So they're very, very aware of, of what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. It goes more in depth in the book. It does. Yes. You're right that horses can help us heal, and I would like you to talk about that. All right. Um, horses are incredible healers. And when, when I say horses can heal, they don't, you don't walk into the stable and they don't put their hooves on you and start healing, or they don't look at you and start sending healing energy. Just being near them, they send off um, a vibration that, that goes into your body that works on, on a cellular level that can, can really create a lot of healing. One incident, or I couldn't call it an incident, an episode I had was a workshop I was running and I had a miniature horse called Penny. And Penny was incredible, very relaxed, very calm. She was very bossy with the other horses and the donkeys, but she loved people and she loved the workshops. And on this particular workshop, it was a healing workshop, um, one of the ladies came up to me and she said she can't go into the stable. She's terrified. She's got a fear of horses. Now, you've got to recognize the fears in people because you can't just say, oh, that's fine. She's safe. You'll be safe with her because if you've got a fear, it runs deep. and You don't know what's caused the fear in the first place. So you've got to work with the people, you know, with their fear, not just say, no, don't worry. You'll be fine because how do you know if they're going to be fine? How do they know? And anyway, I stood with her outside Penny's stable. I said to her, okay, let me, let's come and I'll introduce you to Penny. So I took her across to the stable and there was this tiny little horse in the stable, probably about the size of her dog, her Great Dane dog, same size. And when she was ready, I said, okay, let's go inside the stable. I said, don't do anything now. Just sit on a bucket in the corner of the stable and just sit there with Penny. You don't have to stroke her. You don't have to do anything with her. You don't have to heal her. Just sit with her. Let her do the work. So after a few minutes when she started becoming more comfortable with Penny, I left the stable and I went to check up on what everybody else was doing. And when I came back, there she was with her arms around Penny's neck hugging her. And she was in tears. And she had fallen in love with Penny. She'd lost her fear. She still had a healthy respect. And she was nervous to go in with big horses. But she'd lost her fear of horses because she now, Penny had made her feel comfortable, had put the feelings in her of being safe and comfortable and just sending her love is what she needed to feel from Penny. And that's how she, she helped heal her on that day. What a beautiful story. That's <laughs> lovely. You have a chapter on animals and crime, which is very interesting, but we can't go into everything today. And you have a chapter on communicating with the little ones, which include insects and yes. spiders. Yes. Now, what I want you to talk about is about your insights into snails, which I found fascinating. Snails, when I started researching for this and I started communicating with the little ones, as I call them, snails came across as being super, super, very, one of the most sensitive animals I've actually communicated with. Physically, emotionally, everything about them. They're also very highly sexed. Um and, and quite emotional. So I found that was quite fascinating. And can I tell you a snail story? Yes, please. It's not in my book. Oh. But um, I think it might be in the first book. But it's a friend of mine had um, a cabbage patch. And she came to me one day and said to me, the snails had been eating her cabbages and she wanted to kill them all and she was so cross. I said, don't kill them. That's horrific. I don't kill anything. You know, I just don't kill anything. So I said to her, what you do now? is you give the snails one cabbage and tell them. Don't wonder how you're going to tell them or are they going to listen. Just go out there and say to them, all right, guys, this is your cabbage. If you move on to other cabbages, your life is going to end because these are my cabbages. But you can have this cabbage. So I left her with it. Just a quick little thing like that. And when she came out a week later, there the snails were on one cabbage. And the rest of the cabbages were flourishing and the snails were all on one cabbage. And I said to her, now what she needs to do is every time she sees the snails are on the cabbage, give them another cabbage before they start spreading out. Because with animals, 
You might ask them to do something once. They might not listen to you. If they do listen like the snails did, that's brilliant. That's really something extraordinary. But they will soon get bored and they'll forget about it and they'll go back to their old ways. So you've got to keep reminding them that they're doing a good job. And there, you'll give them some more cabbage if they just carry on doing the good job to keep them on your side. Positive reinforcement. (laughs) Yes, positive reinforcement. That's a very interesting story. (laughs) Now, Jenny, you write about connecting with different wild animals. And you write about that at, at length in the book. But I'm only going to ask, what is the big message that you get from wild animals regarding humans? The biggest message I've always got from the wild, and I get lots of different messages, but the thread that comes through with the messages is that humans are arrogant, um, egoy, and fearful. And what they do is that whatever they fear, they destroy. So the message that always comes through is learn about the animals, develop a respect for the animals, and walk side by side. You're not going to get out of your car and walk around the Kruger Park. But they want to walk be side by side. They've got their own path to walk on. You've got your own path to walk on. But they want that mutual respect that they deserve. So it's so education. It's, all, it's education yes. and it's respect and and not to not to work with them, not to function out of fear. Yeah. Because yeah. whatever you fear, you destroy is the, the message that always comes through mm. with them. Thank you. And now, the chapter you mentioned on helping missing animals find their way home. Yes. Could you talk about that? So we have many, many cases of animals that go missing. A lot of them happen at Guy Fox and New Year when there's fireworks. And what people don't realize is that animals, things like fireworks, are incredibly scary. They, they've got such a highly intu- attuned sense of hearing and sight and smell. It really puts them in a state of panic. And they sometimes just get over the fence and they just run. And very often, you, can't, you never get them back. Sometimes they get run over in the, in the road as a result of them fleeing in panic that we manage to locate them or to calm them. So what I do is because we can't always get everybody home and it's up to the people. I've got techniques that I send, give to them to, to help guide the animals home and to also put a bit of protection around them while they're out there. And what the communication does is it helps us determine more closely whether the animal has been stolen, whether it's it, very often if it's stolen... It's very traumatic because it's either been put in a box or in a boot of a car, then it can't give you any information of where it is because it just sees the the inside of the boot of the car and so on. So that is a little bit more tricky. Um, But sometimes they've wandered off. I've had one little cat that wandered off because she was helping a little boy down the road. He had a terminal illness. And he was he didn't have long to, to live. And when we connected with her, she said that she was helping him with his the process of be, keeping him, comforting him until his time had come. And then she would go home again. And two weeks later, she pitched up at home again. So it's about understanding where they are, why they've got, gone missing um, before you can actually start finding out whether you can guide them home or whether you need a little bit more drastic techniques to use to try and locate them. In your chapter on the spiritual side of animals, which is very interesting, you write the following. Animals can lead us spiritually in many different ways. They teach us about death, participate in our social and moral development, enhance our physical and psychological well-being, and heighten our capacity to love and to experience joy. Now, that's quite a mouthful. My question is, what can we do to honor the animals that we come across? The biggest thing that we can do to honor them, because this is something that they do unconditionally. So the biggest way we can honor them is to unconditionally show them the same respect. The short version, yeah. How can listeners get hold of your book, the new one? 
my book, um, the new book as well as the, the my first book, is going to it's on Amazon. The the first one is already on Amazon. The new one's going to be on Amazon. All the Amazon sites around the world, so even Kindle, all the sites that, that Amazon is related with. Um, it'll be both in a paperback as well as an e ebook version, so people can get it from Amazon, or they can come directly to me. Uh, they can look at my website www.animalhealing.co.za or contact me directly on Jenny at animalhealing.co.za because I do have copies at home. So if they would like a signed copy, um, that is only available for people in South Africa because I send them with a courier from Postnet to Postnet because of the, you know, the postal service is not that great, but Postnet is quite reliable. Yeah. And before we d- just touch on your first book, I will attach the link of your website to the podcast. Yes, okay, thank you. Now, your first book is called Pause and Listen. Now, that's pause, P-A-W-S. Pause and listen to the voices of the animals. Just tell us about that book. Right. For many, many, many years, my sister basically had been saying to me, write a book, write a book. You've got such an interesting life. Write a book. So during one of my workshops one one year, um, one of the ladies in the workshop was a publisher. And at the end of the workshop, I said to her, look, I'd like to make an appointment with you to speak about writing my first book. So a week later, I went and I sat with her the whole entire morning. And she told me everything that was involved in writing a book. And up till that moment... I hadn't realized I was going to have to do something. (laughs) So I thought, gee, this is such a lot to take in. How I was going to do this when I was so busy. And when I got home, all my dogs came running up to the kitchen door to greet me. And as I walked in, I said to them, gee, guys, I need to write this book. It's important. I just felt it was important to get get it out there. But I said, how am I going to do it? Because it's so much and I'm so busy and I still need to have quality time with you guys and my husky that I had at the time Riff Raff who's on the cover of the book he came up to me and he said don't worry I'll help you write your book so a few days later I thought thanks boy great I need your help a few days later he was lying under one of the trees in the garden I went and I sat with him and I said to him okay should we start writing my book now and he said, yes, that's fine, because you need to, you can't do anything with the animals. You can't communicate with them if they're not ready and willing, because they like people. They might not feel like doing it right then. They might be busy with other things. They might even just be wanting to sleep. So I said to him, okay, what do I do? I don't know how to start. I don't know how to end it, and I don't know what to put in the middle. That's my book. <laughs> so he said to me, ask me a question. So I said, well, what question should I ask you? He said, I don't know. You haven't asked me yet. So I (laughs) sat and I thought and thought, and eventually a question came. I think the question came from him. And I asked him a question, and he just started answering, and I just started writing. And it doesn't always make sense when you do it like that because it's very jagged, the information that comes through. But I get all the information down, and later on I could go and sort it out into some kind of sense that people would actually understand and as I went along I would go then to the next animal and say can you help me write something and I'd ask a question and I'd get the information like that so the whole book was was really um, inspired by the the wisdom of the animals around me goodness (laughs) Uh, we haven't talked about the services you offer could you just uh, tell the listeners exactly what you offer all right what I offer I do Communication sessions, most of them are done through um, readings via email where people would send me a photograph and questions of the animal because I work around the world so I can't fly everywhere that I need to go to. So people would send me the photograph um, and I would then connect with the animal in the photograph and get the information from them. I always ask them not to give me too much about the actual animal. I'd rather get that from the animal and they can give me, tell me afterwards if, if that was accurate or not. The animal usually comes forward with that information themselves. Um, so I do it that way. I also, there are certain places, if people want me to go and work with a few horses, for instance, three or four horses, then I very often go to the stable yard 
and I do it physically if it's within my area that it's not going to take me three hours to get there if there are certain dogs I'm not a behaviorist so I don't need to go to the house to see the behavior of the dogs I can do it with the, through the photograph sometimes it's better that way but there are occasions where people are happier if I'm in person and that then I will do that for them as well and um, then I offer I do healing I do ESP animal healing which is working with the aura and the chakras the energy centers with inside the animals to to create a balance which will help their once they've created a balance in themselves they can heal themselves so it's just an assisted way of helping them heal and that's also remotely and that I do remotely. Yes. Um, and then I I run the workshops where I teach people to do their own. I do the, the first workshop, the level one, which introduces them to the telepathic communication, develops the ability so they can start accessing their own abilities. And once they've done that, they then move on to the that more advanced level two, which then we focus on working with using telepathic abilities to work with missing animals. And we also do what I call intuitive medical body scanning. But I'm not a vet, so I can't prescribe or diagnose anything, but we can pick up certain things, abnormalities inside the animals, and then it's up to the people, the humans, to take them to the vet to be checked up, and to say to the vet, this is what I suspect, can you have a look into that? Mm-hmm. Just gives them a little bit, somewhere to start yes. investigating. Yes. yes. And are the workshops in person? The workshops are in person. I do have them also as home study options for people that are living out of the country or out of town that are not close enough. But most of them are in person. Um, However, now as a result of COVID, I'm doing more private workshops, which means I will take on a private workshop up to four people. So people do come on their own, and that's fine. But I then will allow them to invite three friends because I like them to do exercises with each other. So if there are four people, it, it actually benefits them more than just having one. And we do it that way. But I do sometimes still, if somebody is wanting to have a slightly bigger group, we do it in their homes. I don't work in my own home. In their home with their animals. And if they're wanting a slightly bigger group, they've got more friends, I will take up to 10 people. But that's it's a, it's these workshops are organized when people are requesting them. Yes. And yes. then we, we, we focus on it from there. Yes. yes. And they can go to your website once again. And they can to... go to the website to see more about those, the workshops and yes. the communications. Yes. Now for your three tips on communicating with animals, please. Okay, the three tips I would say is the first one is to get out of your, open your heart and get out of your head. To calm down, because if you've got too many thoughts in your mind, it gives the animals a busy signal. So you need to calm your mind, and the best tip I've got for that is to focus on your breathing. So it's calm your mind, focus on your breathing, and not be caught up in what the information that comes through. Just accept whatever comes through and accept it as it is. The the crazier the information that comes through, the more accurate you are. Because very often when people start, they always wonder, is this their own imagination or is this coming from the animals? Now, I always like to point out that your imagination is what is important here. You need to develop your imagination because that's where you're going to get the information. It's real. Your imagination is real. And what Riff Raff said to me at one stage, when I said, how do I explain this to people? He said, if you can't imagine what we're trying to say to you, how are you ever going to hear us? Mm. So that's basically the bottom line. Thank you. And are you ready for your fun question? No. <laughs> <laughs> will, you, will you try to do it anyway? I will try. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you could be any creature... Whether you live mainly on land or in the water or in the sky, which creature would you love to be for a while? I would love to be a hyena. Really? I love hyenas. 
I've got a passion for lions as well, but I absolutely I found hyenas so fascinating. Yeah, and once again, what you said about fearing animals, I think many people will be like me when I hear the word hyena, I get very scared. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what do you find so fascinating about I them? I just find they, they are one of the most powerful animals. Their jaws are the most powerful of any of the predators that you'll find. They're just their the whole look about them. I, you know, some people say they are so ugly. I find them beautiful. The uglier the animal, the more beautiful it is. You can see deep into the soul. And they are so, they are pretty complicated. And I just find them interesting, their personalities, their characters. I've worked with hyenas and I just find them so fascinating. Mm. Thank you, Jenny. That's a pleasure. I, I must say you've introduced me to a whole new reality. <laughs> I'm glad. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneeman.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mark Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.